0: Big hit, Dance the Night, James Marsh is with us. James, uh, you've just been to see it, right? Uh, Did she keep her hair in one place, not one hair out of place?
1: Well, I mean, that's kind of part of it, is that it's sort of uh, to do with sort of an existential crisis that Barbie undergoes, and uh, when she starts realising that she is less than perfect, and that she is starting to have thoughts that she shouldn't be bothering her pretty little head about, and things like that, and it's about, you know, where she goes with that but yeah it is it's barbenheimer week week uh (laughs) which is a bizarre phenomenon that seems to have emerged we're encouraging people to go and see two very very different films that are both opening globally opposite ends of the spectrum Uh, completely these aren't they yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, I mean, it is a tactic that you do see called counter programming, you know, if, if there is, but it's normally one big giant blockbuster and, and then there'll be some little sort of foreign art house films slipped in there the same week for those not interested in going and seeing, um, you know, Mission Impossible or whatever it happens to be out this week. So this is relatively rare, particularly in the middle of summer where you have two potentially very big, very popular, but uh, you know, pretty polarizing films. You know, there isn't inherently much uh, audience crossover between those wanting to see Barbie and those wanting to be Oppenheimer. Me, but they've me. chosen. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into which way which way you are leaning later. But um, rather than uh, pit one against the other, mm. they have they have sort of encouraged people to go and see both, even bo- go and see both as a double feature on the same day wow um, wow yes which is interesting because they are not short <laughs> movies even barbie which you know is you know it's it's not a spoiler to say it's it's the lighter fluffier of the two movies uh clocks in at nearly two hours right where an oppenheimer is bang on three hours basically yeah. well two hours so is, is, is
0: is long for a rom-com isn't it i mean which which is kind of what it is i guess
1: it is many things and it aspires to be even more things uh so i mean let's just get let's get into into barbie yeah um so this is a new film directed by greta gerwig who has sort of come out of the indie sphere and started directing films like lady bird and little women and she's garnered some sort of um awards attention for that and she's seen as sort of an emerging sort of feminist voice in the sort of independent independent sphere which does which is you know fairly male dominated and all the rest of it but of course this is barbie you know this is the mattel toy that was launched uh you know in 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 theory to give young women around the world you know an aspiration towards being you know something more but at the same time uh sort of projected unrealistic expectations on many generations of women where it was like, you have to look like this, particularly regarding sort of body image and beauty standards and all the, all the rest of it. Um, the film opens with a very sort of amusing narration from Helen Mirren, which mimics, uh, the opening of 2001 Space Odyssey, which is, you know, you, it's not a film you would automatically put the two, but it's all about evolution is the idea is about, you know, it's, it's a turning point in civilization. And, and Helen Mirren's voiceover sort of states that up until this point, you know, girls have always been, have always played with dolls. They've always been given dolls to play with. But up until this point, they've always been babies. Doll- the dolls have always been babies. And so it's, it's nurturing a maternal instinct in these rooms until mm. Mattel launched Barbie, who is n- not to be mothered. She is, you know, a- a- an aspiration for the wi- g- young girls themselves to become later on. And that spawned all kinds of, of Barbies. You know, there are, there isn't one Barbie. There is sort of doctor Barbie and lawyer Barbie and, uh, Malibu Beach Barbie, and you know, and you name it. In every particular situation, there is a Barbie who excels in that role in in society. She is not only gorgeous, but she is the best at everything that she sets her mind to. And oh, and as the years progressed, you get um, you know, more and more ethnically diverse iterations of Barbie as well. But they are all still Barbie, and this is the world that the film then sort of presents to us: the Barbie Land. It, it, at least in the mind of all the Barbies, is a very real place. So Barbie, you know, as as played by uh, Margot Robbie, she wakes up in her Barbie Dreamhouse, which is exactly an exact replica of the the toy of Barbie Dreamhouse. So it's not it's not a real house; it's a sort of flimsy plastic structure with no walls and um <laughs> you know, no real working. um utensils or or anything like that uh but she you know she gets up and she has her breakfast and she goes into her massive wardrobe selects her beautiful outfit for the day and off she drives in her pink little sports car either to go shopping or to go to the beach or do all of those things Mm. and she is surrounded by all the other barbies who all excel at everything they do and they all just greet each other hello barbie hello barbie it's another spectacular wonderful day as it is every day and then there is ken Right. And Ken, Ken, Ken. And, and then there is Ken <laughs> as played by um uh, Ryan Gosling. You know, and and he similarly is uh you know a a, a prime example of, you know, aspirational manhood, a if you like. Um however, he doesn't have a particularly prominent role in Barbie Land society. He only seems to really exist or find agency if Barbie notices him. Right. And there, and there is a kind of running joke, and obviously there are as many Kens as there are Barbies, and they are as ethnically diverse and what have you as well. So you have Simo Liu from uh, Shang Chi as one of the Barbies. Uh, You have um, oh, what's the chap's name? We saw him just the other day. Uh, 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 uh. Sorry, 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 sorry. (laughs) He is. Kingsley Ben Adia as, as another as another Barbie. Right. Even even uh you know, well, I won't spoil something because there are some there are plenty of plenty of cameos. It's pretty stacked cast and there are lots of people popping up. So suffice to say that you know Ken really only has agency when he um when he is noticed by Barbie. He doesn't really have a job. His job is beach. He's not a lifeguard. Uh he's not a surfer. His job is beach. Beach. <laughs> and he stands around on the beach in his shorts and his open shirt with a, a a surfboard under his arm. And that's what, that's his role. His role is to be there, to look good, be supportive of Barbie. And there's a, there's a good joke that when he suggests, Oh, shall I stay over at your house tonight? She's like, why, what would we do? And he's like, you know what? I actually don't know. Uh, you know, and they, oh. they acknowledge the fact that they don't have anything, you know, downstairs as it were, you know, anatomically they are, they are not endowed in that regard. And, um, suffice to say that everything is perfect you know everything is beautiful it's just as it should be it is a it is a feminist utopia if you like where Mm. all all the barbies not all the women but all the all the barbies just uh, are out there living their best lives every day and excelling at everything that they do until suddenly for reasons i know barbie starts to have dark thoughts she suddenly out of nowhere starts to contemplate she's like hey have you ever thought about death and that sort of rocks, rocks Barbie Land, and uh, she starts developing cellulite and other things like this until she is advised to go and see Weird Barbie. Weird Barbie is a Barbie who had been played with too much by a child who cut its cut its hair and put permanent marker oh. on its face and what have you, and so has been sort of somewhat outcast. Right. <laughs> Played by Kate McKinnon. Played by one rather wonderfully by Kate McKinnon. And she says, oh, okay, I see what's happening. This is a disconnect between you and the girl in the real world who is playing with you. And it's here where you realize, okay, well, Barbie is, is sort of uh, tapping into that same idea that is used in uh, films like Toy Story and films like Lego, the Lego movie, and things like that, where there is some kind of connectivity, connection so, so that is... um Sort of cross pollination, it, it, they, it is a symbiosis between the toy and the person playing with with the toy mm. in the real world. And that they are somehow sort of codependent upon one another. And so something, something is wrong with the connection. That is what's, that is what Barbie is suffering. And so she is, uh, rather reluctantly sent out away from Barbie land. She has to go to the real world and find her owner, if you like. Find the girl who has done this and sort out out the problem. Ken, you know, stows away, comes along for the ride inadvertently, and they arrive in the real world, and much to Barbie's horror and much to Ken's delight, they realize that in the real world, it's the men who might have the upper hand.
0: Right, right.
1: And and from there, off it goes. And they both experience sort of an odyssey, an exploration of, oh my gosh, what well, might we in fact be living in a patriarchy as opposed to a sort of a, a feminist utopia like this? Um, so... You know the film is incredibly well intentioned. It seems that like Greta Gerwig has has rather deftly uh,
0: dealt with the with the uh, fen- feminism um, ma- or male dominated uh, issue quite well, and uh, you know and brought and and brought lots of real aspects, but also things that mm. will chime very much with with uh, folks from their childhood as well. You know, just such as that weird Barbie and these kind of things, and, and you know these are, yeah. these are real things, aren't they?
1: They go, it goes out of its way to really kind of, um, sort of deep dive into the idea of, uh, Barbie as a toy and, and the universe that is created through all the toys. You know, everything within, within Barbie land is a practical toy that you could buy for yourself in the shops. Um, I was sitting next to a, a a female friend of mine, a woman of a certain age, who at one point in the early in the film in Barbie Land, when an ambulance, a Barbie ambulance, drives up and opens up, she leaned over to me and said. I had one of those. I had, it. <laughs> <laughs> I, had I had one of those.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, so it's, the- it's got such a heritage. I mean, coming out in Ooh. 1959, the Barbie doll, it's 64 years old. I mean, so many people have, have, have seen it through from it childhood, haven't they?
1: She, she has touched so many generations and uh and so yeah i think it, it will certainly resonate with with a uh, you know generations of of women purely on a sort of acknowledge you know purely just a recognition factor uh and so they there's done a lot of research into the the various uh you know v- versions and iterations of barbie over the years some of the ones that were discontinued some of the more ridiculous ideas uh poor poor decisions that were made along the way you know it's It leaves no stone unturned. And if you are familiar with, with the Barbie brand over the years, you will, you will see a lot. Mm. And it does, it does a lot to, uh, to capture that kind of aesthetic of a kind of toy world. Everything is sort of plastic, slightly flimsy and whatever. And it does, and it, it, you know, Barbie land feels a fair bit like a sort of Wes Anderson movie in that regard that it is, has this kind of sort of dollhouse aesthetic going on. Everything does feel like it's made by Mattel out of plastic. Um, where the film you know when the film steps into the real world is when it really sort of uh its ambitions come to the to the forefront you know when it's really starting to tackle sort of real world issues and how barbie's role um you know doesn't align necessarily with that and the, the positive and negative impact that barbie has had on these generations of women um and i think some of you know, some of that works better than than others mm. Uh, sim- similarly, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of humor wrung from the fact that, you know, Ken absolutely loves the fact that men are suddenly on top
0: mm.
1: and that they are now in control of everything. And somehow that stuff feels slightly more organic than, uh, some of the sort of the, the, the feminist, um, s- sort of uh, mantras that are, uh, that that are being uh, that are being pushed by the by the film. It often feels like the film has to kind of stop and make speeches for the benefit of uh, its female characters in a way that it doesn't with Ken and and the men. He, he you know. And I've got and I've got I've got reasons. I've got theories about about why that is.
0: Yeah. Well, hold hold that thought. We'll we'll just continue that in just one second uh, after the news. Uh, the- It's Friday lunchtime, and that means it is movies with James Marsh. And uh, James is uh, reviewing uh, Barbie, starring uh, Margot Robbie and uh, Ryan Gosling. And uh, we were on the brink of you giving us some reasons, James. Go for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, what happens is that the, um, I think all the jokes are at the expense of the patriarchy, where, you know, where Ken is, you know, amazed at, to discover that, that men are in charge and embraces it wholeheartedly and brings it back to Barbie lands. They seem to actually land far better than, than a a lot of the, um, the 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 issues that are being pushed by by Barbie and the other female characters, and I feel that it's it's because it's it's an easy target, I think, and I think the filmmakers don't really care what the response is from the men because it's difficult for them to deny it, any of it. And so uh, it's an opportunity to make a lot of jokes at the expense of the patriarchy, at the expense of just men in general, and, the, and sort of ma- toxic masculinity uh, and, all, and all of this kind of stuff. M- you know, men's rights activists, all this ridiculous stuff. And they don't care what the response is because the only people who are going to get upset or try and deny any of this are exactly the people that they're, mm-hmm. uh, they're teasing anyway. So it sounds I like they've they, found, they... A, found a quite a nice balance then. They have, but it, it, my problem with it is that it felt that some of the pontificating on behalf of women in the film, uh, which obviously is where the film is going, you know, to try and talk about sort of being more even-handed, giving women, you know, more more of a chance in just in society, you know, they're held to such high standards in every aspect of their life and all of this kind of stuff, held to impossible standards, that Barbie is partly responsible for propagating. Um the film kind of has to ground to a halt in order for the characters to sort of make these long speeches. And I feel that it's because they care so deeply about these issues that they've actually, they're being incredibly sort of careful and meticulous about how these are worded. You know, they're very careful. They don't want to sort of offend anybody. They want to make sure that they make every point as per- carefully as they can. Uh, and it feels like these are the bits that have been sort of rewritten, rewritten, and reworked over and over again to get them just right. Too laboured? Um and so it feels a little bit, it does feel a little bit labored. And when the film is as long as it is, it does feel like it, it's kind of a little bit, a, a little bit baggy. It kind of is spinning its wheels a little bit. No one is going to deny or, or um, you know, argue with the message of this movie. You know, it's, as I said, it's incredibly well intentioned and, and well articulated, but it just feels like I think if they had been, Uh, if they had reined it in a little bit just time-wise, it would have sort of landed more strongly, I think. I think when given sort of free reign, as it feels, it feels like they've had, you know, the the, the keys to the kingdom to to make exactly the film that they want to make. It feels a little bit unwieldy, a little bit bloated, a little bit repetitive towards the end. And I feel that all that does is sort of dilute the message ever so slightly. So by the end, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, we've had we've We've had quite enough of this, Thank you very much. And that's not obviously because I'm a man and I feel persecuted or anything like that. I think, as I said, I think the stuff that, that rips into the men is the best stuff in it. I think it's hilarious, right. Uh, but I think when it's trying to make a serious point, it it does feel just a little bit more cautious than than at, at other times and you know rightly so it's a serious issue but it fe- but again it feels like it, it, it has to almost step out of the lane of the rest of the movie in those moments and that's and that's a shame that it doesn't feel quite as organic as perhaps it could
0: but overall it sounds like the from a story and a content and a uh you know overall perspective it's an attractive movie
1: I think it's it's going to do incredibly well I think for a lot of, for a lot of people and I imagine for you know a, a huge number of, of women of all ages around the world it will be a you know a breath of fresh air and they'll be like you know it's great to see these messages being you know laid out as bluntly as this in such a sort of mainstream movie with us with a, such a degree of, of humor backing mm. it up as mm. well mm. um I just feel that the actual objective quality of the film suffers somewhat from some of the sort of uh, the clunky pontificating, should we say, unfortunately.
0: And I suppose the perhaps the elephant in the room here is, is this just a big advert for Barbie? After all, we've talked about it two weeks running, the posters are everywhere, there's just Barbie everywhere. I mean, is the whole thing just about selling more product?
1: Well, it's clearly made with the full cooperation of Mattel. I mean, Mattel features quite prominently in in the movie. You know, Will Ferrell plays the CEO of Mattel, who becomes a kind of character, and that element of the film feels a little bit too detached from the main narrative where you have Will Ferrell and his board and there's a there's a good joke about it's a group it's a group of middle-aged white men making all these decisions on behalf of young children, young girls around the world, and they, they know best. And it's like, yes, that's a good joke. Um, but it doesn't really go much further than that. And you end up with them kind of like running around chasing Barbie and we have to stop her, we have to catch her, blah blah blah. And that stuff feels like it's almost from a different movie. Um but yeah, it is it an advert for for Barbie uh, it's not it's not doing the brand any any damage that's for
0: sure it <laughs> seems so i mean not least because it's got such positivity in review land generally hasn't it i mean most people seeing saying good things about it which i, I suppose when the concept first I heard. I first heard about the concept, which was a few months ago. You've probably known about it for, for years, but I only heard about it a few months ago. I, I sort of thought, oh, God, that's going to be a load of rubbish. What a, you know, Barbie, what? Forget it. And, and it does seem to have turned around, and presumably that that will have an impact on commercial sales.
1: I felt exactly the same way, you know, when they said that they were doing it. I was like, really? What? What's this movie going to be? How are they going to be able to do this in this day and age? You know, uh, in the climate in which we live right now, in in a way uh, that's going to make sense. And then when the trailers started arriving, you're like, oh, okay, this is the tone that they're going for. You know, they are really that you know fully acknowledging the good and bad that that Barbie has done over the years, Uh, and 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 embracing sort of gender, you know, gender roles, exploring gender roles, and all the rest of it. And I think you know, I think it's in that regard, it's done more than I think anybody could have possibly foreseen the movie yeah. even attempting to, to do.
0: Do you know, I think the funny, the funny thing about the whole of this is, you know, this is in, in perhaps in, in, in the past, it's been considered a lightweight toy, you know, some small thing. And here we are. Mm. We spend 20, 25 minutes analysing it <laughs> in great detail. Suddenly, Barbie, I mean, would you
1: have thought that it no. would have been... Well, this, <laughs> this is exactly it. You know, they've clearly, you know, struck upon something you know i i have to say for me you know, in a, in a week when there's a new christopher nolan movie out we, we haven't got to it yet <laughs> we've, been, we've been talking we about it. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs>
0: all right well it it sounds like i'm going to going to have going to have to see it you know i mean uh, hmm.
1: well you'll have if you're going to go see that then you're going to have to do the full barbenheimer <laughs> double because you know we segueing nicely into it you cannot skip Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, yes, as it's it an incredibly different film, but it is actually a, the better of the two films. Okay.
0: Well, I sort of quite ex- I sort of expected that you would say that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and 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 that's kind of partly the point that's why this whole Barbenheimer phenomenon exists is because yes, it's definitely the movie that is inherently tailored more for me and and inevitably i did come away liking it much more than than barbie uh but yeah but i but i did see both and i did spend a lot of time talking about barbie so there you go Um, so tell us about
0: Oppenheimer. i mean you know give us the background for those people who don't know who he is
1: Okay. So J. Robert Oppenheimer, uh, was called sort of the father of the, sort of the the atomic age. He was, he he was a very complicated character. He was essentially a a physicist, a theoretical physicist who was at the heart of the development of the atom bomb, which was obviously dropped on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki to end World War II. Um, he was a very complicated character, not least because, um, he was Jewish, born to German parents in New York, uh, grew up aligned with many communists, you know he had sort of communist um, affiliations if never joining the party specifically himself, so when World War Two began and the US realised that they were years behind the Germans uh, in uh, a, a, the, the development of uh, nuclear weapons, they scrambled to find scientists from uh, from wherever they could, which mainly meant Europe, which immediately raised questions about their loyalties even though they brought them all to america and they're making them work for the americans they're supposed to be al- allied with the soviets but they already they kind of know that in the long term the soviets are going to be the enemies uh and they're totally paranoid that the simultaneously as they're they're working on the manhattan project as it was called to develop uh nuclear you know what would end up being nuclear weapons uh employing all of these uh sort of European uh, scientists, possibly communists, you know, possibly double agents. They were absolutely paranoid that they were going to be spies. And at the centre of all this, you've got Oppenheimer, uh, who who was, you know, he, like I say, he had communist leanings before the war, but he was a patriot. He was American. He was a patriot. And he was just, uh, his great conflict was within himself, that he was, for the sake of science, pursuing the creation of, you know, sort of splitting the atom and, and uh, creating the atomic bomb, knowing full well that it would immediately be used as a weapon of mass destruction and it would kill hundreds of thousands of people. And that was the inner conflict. He was like, I have to, I can't not do it, but as soon as I've done it, it will be used for uh, for horrible purposes. There
0: seems to, there seems to be almost a, a parallel here between the uh, development of um, the nuclear bomb and the development of AI, lest I say it.
1: Yeah, that's that's very interesting actually. And actually, there's a mantra throughout the film, which is um, because because it's it's the question mark hanging over the whole uh, experiments as they build up enough sort of uh, uranium and plutonium, and they develop exactly how they're going to do this. They they realize that they're basically going to be bouncing sort of neutrons off. Uh, off electrons or sorry off other other atoms and it will cause a chain reaction where more and more Mm. you know neutrons will will then sort of collide with other atoms and collide with other atoms collide with other atoms and that will create the explosion but will it will they be able to contain that explosion Mm. or will it possibly just cause a chain reaction that destroys the entire world and there's a mantra throughout the film that's like are we about, are we basically going to destroy the world by creating this and trig and triggering this? Uh, and as it turns out, you know, in one way or another, they they may actually be right. You know, not as literally as perhaps they had feared, but, you know, it has led them down a path that uh, of which there is possibly no return. The idea was that it was going to be used as a deterrent, where it would never be used. And that um, they would collaborate. You know, Oppenheimer wanted them to collaborate internationally to share their information, to show the enemy that this is incredibly dangerous and shouldn't be used so that but instead the opposite obviously happened and you ended up in a full blown um, arms race after the war now the film being a Christopher Nolan film the film isn't told in chronological order there are kind of a couple of different sort of uh timelines being followed simultaneously there is um oh goodness on the on the one <laughs> yeah yeah just to make it even more um co- you know complicated mm. uh there are the the hearings um so in 1954 when uh, Oppenheimer's security clearance came up for renewal, there was a, a, a sort of a board was assembled and he was essentially sort of put put on trial, if you like, or there were hearings, to determine once and for all whether he had been leaking. Because uh, they, they realised somebody on the Manhattan Project at Los Alamos in New Mexico desert, where he was working during the war, somebody had been leaking secrets to to the other side. Uh, And so he's essentially sort of put on trial by a kangaroo court to determine whether or not he was responsible for this. So that is one of the framing devices. And we see a lot of what led up to that in flashback from his recollections. There is also another event taking place uh, a few years later in 1959, which is the um, confirmation hearings of Louis Strass, who was the head of the Atomic Energy Committee. Uh, he was sort of one, a one time contemporary of Oppenheimer's, uh, who was supposed to sort of bring him in, uh, but then sort of they became sort of antagonistic towards one another eventually. And if you know your history, then you know how their relationship sort of panned out. Uh, and so you have these three different timelines you have the two different hearings one one is shot in black and white the other is shot in sort of very grainy uh deliberately grainy color and then all the f- sort of flashbacks to oppenheimer's sort of life and the experiments and the build up to the creation and the trinity test and and all the rest of it uh, is all shot in big huge IMAX camera full s- scope whatever so there are visual signifiers along the way okay. in terms of which which storyline you are, you are currently following. There is, of course, a huge ensemble cast. You know, Louis Strass is played by uh, Robert Downey Jr. Oppenheimer himself is played by Killian Murphy. Emily Blunt is his wife Kitty. Uh, uh, what, what's her name? What's her name? What's her name? What's her name? Uh, Florence? Florence? Um, Florence thank you Florence Pugh as his former girlfriend who might be a communist spy as well Matt Damon as Leslie Groves who was the commanding officer of the you know, military commanding officer overseeing the whole thing who actually brings a degree of levity and humor to the proceedings in what might otherwise be so serious that it might buckle under the weight of its own sense of impending doom and importance um it's obviously beautifully shot beautifully edited so you've got these three different sort of timelines weaving in and out uh, to a degree that it actually reminded me a lot of sort of Oliver Stone's movies like JFK and Nixon you know sure. when there's there's so much kind of history and politics and science and and then the, the the personal struggles of these different characters and their interactions all going on simultaneously all through the recollections each other's recollections from many many years later uh so you're seeing different incarnations of the same character you're seeing them in make in heavy aging makeup without heavy aging makeup so it could become incredibly uh complicated but what is actually quite masterfully done is how coherent the whole thing is right you know and i'm i'm no physicist you know i did a bit at school but the science is incredibly well explained probably over explained in a way that physicists wouldn't wouldn't talk to each other but that's movies for you but as an audience that's good that's good for us that is good you never feel lost at sea with what is going on you never mm. feel overburdened uh you know by a, you know the the the, the information you, know, you never feel like you're being talked down to but you never feel like they're talking over your head either it's an incredibly deft balance of these things uh and most importantly Nolan manages to keep the film riveting and entertaining and thrilling and building to, you know, climaxes that you didn't really foresee as being the climax. You thought, okay, we're building towards them testing the bomb and then unleashing the bomb. That's not where the film, that's not where the film's going. You know, about two thirds of the way through, they do the test. You're like, well, now what? (laughs) And then then you realise that the film is actually building towards a very different kind of climax, different kind of conclusion which um which certainly delivers as a as a kind of traditional uh blockbuster thriller entertainment would and um so i was I knew I was going to like it to one degree or another, it's just going it's just my kind of movie anyway, <laughs> but i was it i it went it went over my expectations in regards to just how accessible it was, how engaging it was, how thrilling it was. I felt that I was going to have to bring a lot to to the screening myself and that I would have to sort of commit a lot and you know you you do you have to pay attention hmm. you know and, and it's a big you know it is weighty topics it is inter- you know a lot of characters and it is serious stuff but it is told with a with a deftness of touch that makes it incredibly sort of easy to follow accessible and entertaining and for that I was very grateful <laughs> and impressed
0: i mean and it's and it sounds it um so like, so i guess the big question then is do you see barbie first and then oppenheimer Mm. or you know sort of light to dark perhaps or do you see oppenheimer first and then a bit of fizz after with barbie
1: yeah i I put a lot of thought into this actually because you know (laughs) the portmanteau barbenheimer suggests see barbie then oppenheimer but that kind of but at the same time you know that oppenheimer is going to be sort of big heavy weighty downbeat and and as you say Barbie is going to be sort of a bit of fizz. So would it make more sense to see Barbie second? Personally, I'm going to say no. I was I will stick with the portmanteau. I will go see Barbie first. Right. And then I just think that although inevitably Oppenheimer ends on something of a downer, just because just because of, you know, he has he has become death, the destroyer of worlds, to quote him, quoting somebody else. Um I think that's that's the point. You have to kind of walk away with that message, and if you don't give that message room to breathe and mm. room to just settle mm. on on your conscience, as it were, then then it has been lost. And if you go straight into Barbie, and also I think Oppenheimer is the better film, <laughs> and, and so I think it deserves it, it deserves to be left to linger. It's if you it's like.
0: it's the big feature and the double feature, right? Is that that's what you're saying? Yeah. right?
1: that's that's what i'm saying so i think it probably although although yes you'll get you'll get the, the the lighter fluffier movie first the and and then go into like the main course i think that's i think that is the way to do it and i think that will be the most rewarding
0: sounds like you've uh, scheduled my weekend uh for me if i can get <laughs> tickets that's uh, seems like the way Excellent. it's gonna go um and uh you know i think uh what a what a power-packed double feature we've got in the middle of the summer as you say quite a quite an unusual thing so I... it,
1: it it is it's, yeah, it's a very strange very unique situation and the fact that they are kind of being sort of mutually supportive of one another you know they're saying yes watch don't just watch us watch both
0: and i think and, if i'm uh, if i'm if i'm not wrong hong kong's got the the first uh, start on these two movies as well it doesn't seem like the mainstream rollout in the u.s is, is until later today is it so it was out yesterday right
1: Yes, yes. So they both opened in Hong Kong yesterday and they will open in the US uh, later today. We're so up yeah, front again. Yeah. There you go. Ah, there
0: you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, James, as ever, uh, very interesting. Uh, a nice couple of movies to, to get our teeth into, get your teeth into. Uh, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. And we will see you this yep, time you next week and next week on The Brew. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Right, bye-bye. Thanks.